1972, The Limits to Growth was published by the Club of Rome. The book suggested that swift human depopulation would save the planet. In 2018, The Limits to Growth co-author Dennis Meadows explained how we need to billions of people. The planet can support something like a billion people, maybe two billion, depending on how much liberty and how much material consumption you want to have. If you want more liberty and more consumption, you have to have fewer people. And conversely, you can have more people. I mean, we could even have eight or nine billion, probably, if we have a very strong dictatorship, which is smart. It's, unfortunately, you never have smart dictatorships. They're always stupid. So, but if you had a smart dictatorship and a low standard of living, you can have it. But, but we want to have freedom and we want to have a high sentence. So we're going to have a billion people. And we're now at seven, so we have to get back down. I hope that this can be slow, relatively slow, and that it can be done in a way which is relatively equal. Overpopulation is a lie. With old school sustainable farming and the end of big government, there is enough room on this planet for several billion. And while the Earth's climate does change, most of what we are seeing is contrived. The fires breaking out all across the world are being blamed on climate change, even though hundreds of arsonists have been caught starting them. Most recently, 79 people were arrested for starting fires in Greece. Direct energy weapons, or DEWS, are able to start fires from above and can utilize microwave technology to burn homes from within. In 2013, the mainstream media reported that we were able to make rain and lightning. I mean, lasers, really, to change the weather? By firing trillion watt lasers, you rip apart the electrons, creating what are called ions, and these ions act like seeds, like dust particles, bringing down rain and even lightning. This week in Michigan, residents reported a strange strobe-like lightning. The event was captured on weather radar, which showed a very unnatural looking spiral. That's some conspiracy theory right there. Making it rain has been possible for decades, and we have come a long way since then with the High Frequency Active Auroral Research Program, known as HARP. We can now create hurricanes, and we can control their direction with next-generation weather radar transmitters, known as NEXRAD. By building up an electromagnetic charge and dispersing it underground as direct current VLF waves, or very low frequency waves, the NEXRAD radar transmitters are able to trigger earthquakes. Earthquakes and explosives can trigger tsunamis. These are the technologies that we know of, and that only leaves volcanoes and tornadoes. Funded by Peter Thiel, AVE Tech Energy Corporation began work in 2012 on a device to produce a 130-foot-tall tornado and a former U.S. intelligence officer recently told State of the Nation that the U.S. has already triggered a volcano. Climate change is not only a hoax, it's a depopulation program, and our entire government is going along with it.
So it seems that in the past, many rainmakers were nicknamed for their insane ideas and bold theories to induce storms or precipitation. Many only did these experiments to help limit droughts and improve agriculture. However, as all of us know, certain experimentations could lead to consequences and dangerous side effects. For a brief example, Charles Maylor Hatfield, or the Moisture Accelerator, a nickname given to him, studied about pluviculture, which is simply a fancy word for rainmaking, made a deal with the city of San Diego in 1915 to help fight against the major droughts that were occurring there. He did so by producing rain with a supposed secret formula of chemicals, which he never revealed. Although Hatfield had known and studied pluviculture before his experimentations, the results that came were outstanding. As he precipitated rain, massive floods were steered along the city of San Diego, causing millions of dollars in damages. This perhaps was the ever first man-made natural disaster in history. But Charlie had a contract to complete. Marina Reservoir was to be filled, so upon his tower he remained. Hatfield continued to use his chemicals and to continue the evaporation process even when these rains stopped for approximately a week. Apparently Marina Reservoir wasn't full at that point. The rain started again on January 24th, but it wasn't severe and people weren't too concerned but it continued and it rained on the 25th and it rained tremendous amounts on the 26th and people throughout San Diego County began to get very concerned because they hadn't really had a major recovery from the first storm. Downtown San Diego records 2.19 inches of rain on January the 27th, but more importantly, San Diego River is 435 square miles. It goes all the way out to the backcountry mountains. In some of those areas, rain falls on January 27th were 24 inches, 30 inches, and so an incredible volume of water comes down Mission Valley. 72,000 cubic feet per second, the biggest flood of the 20th century in San Diego. Ever since rainmaking became a thing, many men began to develop and create machinery that would simulate the concussion method without the use of kites, balloons, or religious rituals. Machinery like the Steger Vortex gun or hell cannons in 1902, which would cause a discharge of gas and set up vibrations into the clouds causing rain. And I hear the hail cannon firing off. It's um, pretty violent. I can't hardly hold the camera still. We'll film it up there. You can hear the plume flying up. Disrupt the cloud pattern. This eventually leads us to the beginning of cloud seeding. It first began with FEDO, or fog investigation and dispersal operation, which was operated during World War II. The operation was meant to clear out fog from an airfield so that aircraft pilots may land safety. During the same time period, a gentleman named Vincent Joseph Schieffer, an American chemist and meteorologist, developed the concept of cloud seeding. He figured out that dumping dry ice into clouds could produce artificial snow or rain. He later developed silver iodide, which is a common chemical compound used today to seed clouds. In this next clip, you're going to see Schieffer's explanation on how cloud seeding works. This is Vincent Schieffer speaking. I would like to take you into the laboratory and show you a few of the experiments that led us to our outdoor experiments in converting clouds into snow. Using a home freezing unit such as this, 
which has a temperature of around zero Fahrenheit, we can form supercool clouds just like those in the natural atmosphere by breathing into the box. The moist air from the breath condenses and forms a cloud. And this cloud cools to a temperature of about zero degrees Fahrenheit in a few seconds. Any moist thing placed in this box will produce such a cloud. By putting this cloud in the chamber, we can then do various things to it to see whether or not we can convert this supercooled cloud to snow. This cloud is made up of liquid water droplets. They are not snow crystals as yet, but by taking a tiny piece of dry ice such as this and scratching it so a few tiny fragments fall into the supercooled cloud, long streaks develop just like the vapor trail from an airplane. These contain millions and millions of tiny submicroscopic snow crystals which grow very fast and assume exactly the same forms that natural snowflakes uh, show in an ordinary snowstorm. This is a picture of the first cloud that we seeded back last November, flying in a small Fairchild plane and putting dry ice from a small dispenser in the bottom of the plane. We put about six pounds of dry ice into this four-mile cloud and within a very few minutes saw long streamers of snow falling uh, from the base of the cloud and evaporating into the drier air below. Under many conditions, of course, full-fledged snowstorms will be produced in this way. Vincent Schieffer wasn't the only man who conducted cloud seeding experiments. Two other gentlemen were along his side, Bernard Vonnegut and Irving Lingmuir. Although cloud seeding seemed like an excellent creation to prevent droughts or wildfires, Lingmuir later stated, and I quote, in the amount of energy liberated, the effect of 30 milligrams of silver iodide under optimum conditions equals that of one atomic bomb. As years went by, more men and women began to utilize the use of cloud seeding. Many were led to the idea of controlling hurricanes, wildfires, storms, and projects like Project Cirrus, Project Scud, Project Skyfire, Project Skywater, and many others. Much of these projects were conducted all over the United States of America. As a result of all of this, a video recorded around 1965, which originates from a TV show called Science and Engineering Television Journal, came forth with a couple of scientists to disclose how cloud seeding can be used to manipulate or control hurricanes and storms. One of the most exciting developments in science today concerns the possibility that it may one day be possible to modify and perhaps even control weather and climate. Walt Disney also created a film in 1959 called Eyes to Outer Space, where scientists go over how satellites and other technologies could be used to control the Earth's natural weather in the near future. These future satellites will be the key to precise forecasting and control of weather. The federal government with the CIA, with the U.S. Navy and Air Force, later took over weather modification programs for their own intentions. This was the beginning of Project Storm Fury, a national modification communist project. The purpose of these projects was to see if it was possible to either dissipate a hurricane by the use of cloud seeding or increase rainfall and storms. After several experiments with cloud seeding, they figured out that weather control alone could serve as a weapon for war and that steering storms could be used for destroying land resources. This is true because during 1969, in 1970, the CIA was reported of ruining Cuba's sugar crops by the use of cloud seeding. 
This was originally disclosed by a gentleman named Lowell Pont. Lowell Pont claimed that the CIA's goal was to destabilize the weather in the Soviet Union and China to ruin harvests in order to create political unrest. Before these allegations, however, was Operation Popeye in 1967. Operation Popeye was sponsored by Henry Kissinger and CIA to see the clouds during the Vietnam War, causing landslides and an overdose of rainfall. This perhaps was the inception of weather warfare, which is simply the definition of the military interfering with or using weather modification for their own purposes, which of course could be for good or evil. Due to these violent uses of weather modification from the military and government, the Environmental Modification Convention later signed an international treaty in 1977 to ban weather warfare completely, prohibiting the military from using weather modification for hostile purposes. Nevertheless, Russians still had this technology in use, according to a report in 1979. NOAA also conducted an atmospheric modification program in 1980. Surprisingly, a Navy physicist and weather modification expert, Dr. Ben Livingston, actually briefed President Lyndon B. Johnson on the effectiveness of weather control back in the 1960s. Ben Livingston was involved in cloud seeding programs, such as Project Storm Fury and Operation Popeye. In an interview with Alex Jones, Ben Livingston exposes how the U.S. government has always wanted to have pure control of hurricanes. He also goes on to explain that Hurricane Katrina could have actually been greatly minimized by the use of cloud seeding, but was allowed to fully impact the Gulf states for political reasons. Sounds like treason to me, wink wink. The results from the Hurricane Debbie experiment seem so positive that many individuals believe that project should go operational, seeding major hurricanes that threaten land. A team of scientists at Stanford Research Institute at Stanford University did a decision analysis on all past seeding events, including the Esther, that's the 1961 and 1963 experiments. Dr. James Madison of that group, reflecting their views, stated, We claim they should consider seeding now if a big hurricane comes straight from Miami. These scientists said the government may have to accept responsibility for not seeding and thereby exposing the public to higher probabilities of severe storm damage and possible higher death tolls. You can find the full interview in YouTube just by typing the father of weaponized weather in the search bar. You can also find it in a website called casecorner.wordpress.com. Even though the U.S. had officially banned weather warfare, weather modification was still a plausible solution to have a positive impact against storms, droughts, tornadoes, etc. In a National Weather Modification Policy Act in 1976 published by Congress, it states, weather modification technology has significant potential for preventing, diverting, or moderating the adverse of effects of such disasters and hazards. This policy act helped escalate many more weather modification programs which involved things like marine cloud brightening boats and new strategies to control the ionosphere which led to the birth of HARP. We will be covering HARP later on as we continue to unfold who's behind weather control in today's era. 
Now that we understand where the concept of weather modification comes from and how it all began, we must now figure out what geoengineering is and how chemtrails fit in the category of weather modification. But before we continue, I want to give a shout out to a guy named Jim Lee for providing this information on weather modification. His work is phenomenal. Most of the information that I have gathered for this video comes from his website, weathermodificationhistory.com and climateviewer.com. You can find all the historic information, policy acts, technologies, and more about weather modification in his websites. Anyways, we will now be focusing our attention to the modern era of weather modification and expose it for what it is and show you how weather warfare is now at full scale around us 24-7 and how our corrupted state of secret men have taken over weather modification programs and show you their agenda for the use of such technologies. Now that we understand the origins and the history and the lore of weather modification, we can now start to unfold the current weather modification programs that are currently occurring and happening right in front of our eyes every day 24-7 in the skies. So we're going to be discussing about geoengineering, specifically solar geoengineering, also known as stratospheric aerosol injection or SAI. And I want to begin with David Keefe and Harvard University because during 2015, David Keefe and Harvard University came out in public specifically talking about and disclosing what solar geoengineering is, which is briefly summarized in their own website stating, and I quote, geoengineering refers to a set of emerging technologies that can manipulate the environment and partially offset some of the impacts of climate change. Certain technologies are actually being proposed by geoengineers scientists as a potential advancement for geoengineering. One of the technologies to be used for geoengineering is cloud seeding. In a smart chart, it briefly explains how cloud seeding works. And I will quote, Silver iodide is released by a plane or ground-based generator. Silver iodide particles reach the targeted cloud. The silver iodide aids in the formation of ice crystals. The ice crystals become large enough to create snow. Another form of technology to be used for geoengineering is ocean iron fertilization or aquatrails. It's basically the idea of dumping iron into the oceans, which will grow phytoplankton, which would capture CO2. Another form of technology to be used for geoengineering is marine cloud brightening boats. The strategy would be to spray salt water into the air to make marine clouds reflect more incoming solar radiation. As seen in this photo, they already have tested it out. A fourth proposal by geoengineers are space mirrors, which are self-explanatory. And finally, the one we have been waiting for, Stratospheric Aerosol Injection or SAI which is described by a geoengineer named Alan Robach as, and I quote, one suggested geoengineering response involves creating a cloud of particles in the stratosphere to reflect sunlight. 
According to Dr. Gernot Wigner, a co-director of Harvard's Solar Geoengineering Research Program, he claims that a hypothetical deployment program starting 15 years from now would be technically possible strictly from an engineering perspective. And according to Wake Smith, a study co-author at Yale stated that no aircraft has the combination of altitude and payload capabilities required for stratospheric aerosol injection. In other words, geoengineering scientists claim they don't have the technology to do such a thing. And if they did, they would say they wouldn't know the outcomes or the consequences of using these geoengineering schemes via these technologies they propose to use. My personal opinion is that we have to keep geoengineering on the table. We have to look at it very carefully because we might get desperate enough to want to use it. The danger, of course, with geoengineering is one I was referring to a moment ago. We don't understand the system well enough to predict its responses in detail. And that means there's always a danger, if you try to engineer the system on a large scale, that you will do something that has side effects that are worse than the dimension of the problem you're trying to cure with the geoengineering in the first place. Uh, there are a variety of schemes that have been discussed for geoengineering. A classic example is uh, injecting reflecting particles into Earth orbit that would uh, deflect some of the sunlight that would otherwise be warming the Earth and in that way try to produce a cooling effect to offset the heating effect of carbon dioxide and other greenhouse gases. In addition, in an episode of the Colbert Report from Stephen Colbert, he interviews David Keefe specifically on solar geoengineering. What you're about to hear is perhaps one of the most vital information out there to this day, at least in my opinion, on geoengineering coming from the man who is actually participating in this geoengineering program. Take a listen. You could actually spray sulfuric acid in the stratosphere, 20 kilometers over our head, and use that to stop the planet warming up. And it's okay, an ugly you, tech fix. You can, you can spray something into the atmosphere to yes. change... Okay, spray okay. Spray pollution into the atmosphere to stop it warming. How do you do this? You yeah. start with a fleet of modified business jets and say 20,000 tons of sulfuric acid uh -huh. into the stratosphere every year. Uh -huh. And each year you have to put a little more. Mm -hmm. And this doesn't, in the long run, mean that you can forget about cutting emissions. We will need to rein in emissions. No, we'll get to it eventually. Does, in the meantime, we're shrouding the earth in sulfuric acid. So people are terrified about talking about this because uh -huh. they're scared that it will prevent us cutting emissions. Right, and also that it's sulfuric acid. We put 50 million tons of sulfuric acid in the air now as pollution, and it kills a million people a year worldwide. Okay, but it'll be better if we put more in. We're talking about 1% of that. 1% more, we're just killing 10,000 more people. You can do math. What happens to the sulfuric acid after it's sprayed? Does it just stay up there? No, it rains down, okay. but it's a tiny addition to okay. what we're already doing. Is there any possible way this could come back to bite us in the end? It actually turns out to be an old idea. This really? was known since President Johnson. You ever look at those planes up there? They have contrails behind them? Maybe all those planes with the contrails, maybe they're actually spraying chemicals into the atmosphere right now and Uncle Sam isn't telling us. Seems extremely unlikely. The that fact the United the government... States is not telling something to its citizens? That seems extremely likely to me. Read the newspaper. So there you have it. They came out publicly talking about solar geoengineering and nobody seemed to care. And still to this very day, there's posts everywhere, news articles of them saying, well, we might, we might, you know, experiment with geoengineering or yes, we are experimenting, but you never know the consequences, etc, etc, etc. 
even though we see a similar aspect of what they call stratospheric aerosol injection happening in our skies almost on a daily basis all you got to do is peek at your window look at the sky and you'll begin to start noticing jets whether it be commercial or military aircraft spraying long-lasting lines that stretch from horizon to horizon that linger into a hazy milky gray looking sky and clouds nevertheless these same stratospheric aerosol injections are actually chemtrails if you don't know what chemtrails are i would recommend reading a book from a guy named william thomas an author of his book chemtrails confirm in his book he describes the differences of a chemtrail and a contrail laying down all the facts of whether or not what we're seeing in the skies are actual chemical trails or condensation trails with actual data from NASA and NOAA themselves. Surprisingly, William Thomas was actually the first man to popularize and promote the word chemtrails.